I first read tonight's story on this podcast almost seven years ago, if you can believe that. Prompted by Mel Yu of The Reading Life, I recently decided to go and have a quick peek at that reading. What I found there was nothing short of croaky, scratched record, tin-canned, audiophonic horror. Jean Rhys deserves better, and so... You have Mel Yu to thank for this repeat of tonight's story. If you aren't spending your nights with Mel Yu and The Reading Life, you're missing a true internet gem and should deprive yourself no longer. She's at rereadinglives.blogspot.com and I'll post a link and do all of those things. So thank you, Mel Yu. Good evening. It's Thursday, the 12th of January, 2012, and it's Miet's Bedtime Story Podcast. Illusion by Jean Rhys Miss Bruce was quite an old inhabitant of the quarter. For seven years she had lived there, in a little studio up five flights of stairs. She had painted portraits exhibited occasionally at the Salon. She had even sold a picture sometimes, a remarkable achievement for Montparnasse, but possible, for I believe she was just clever enough and not too clever, though I am no judge of these matters. She was a tall, thin woman, with large bones and hands and feet, One thought of her as a shining example of what character and training, British character and training, can do. After seven years in Paris, she appeared utterly untouched, utterly unaffected by anything hectic, slightly exotic, or unwholesome. Going on all the time, all round her, were the cult of beauty and the worship of physical love. She just looked at her surroundings in her healthy, sensible way, and then dismissed them from her thoughts, rather like some sturdy rock with impotent blue waves washing round it. When pretty women passed her in the streets or sat near her in restaurants, she would look appraisingly with the artist's eye, and make a suitably critical remark. She exhibited no tinge of curiosity or envy. As for the others, the petite femme, anxiously consulting the mirrors of their bags, anxiously and searchingly looking round with darkened eyelids. Those unfortunate people, would say Miss Bruce, not in a hard way, but broad-mindedly, breezily, indeed, with a thoroughly gentlemanly intonation those unfortunate little people. She always wore a neat serge dress in the summer and a neat tweed costume in the winter, brown shoes with low heels and cotton stockings. When she was going to parties, she put on a black gown of crepe de chine, just well enough cut, not extravagantly pretty. In fact, Miss Bruce was an exceedingly nice woman. She powdered her nose as a concession to Paris. The rest of her face shone, beautifully washed, in the sunlight or the electric light, as the case may be, 
with here and there a few rather lovable freckles. She had, of course, like most of the English and American artists in Paris, a private income, a respectably large one, I believe. She knew most people and was intimate with nobody. We had been dining and lunching together now and then for two years, yet I only knew the outside of Miss Bruce, the cool, sensible, tidy English outside. Well, we had an appointment on a hot, sunny afternoon, and I arrived to see her about three o'clock. I was met by a very perturbed concierge. Mademoiselle had been in bed just one day, and suddenly, last night about eight o'clock, the pain had become terrible. The femme de ménage, Mme Pichon, who had stayed all day, and she, the concierge, had consulted anxiously, had fetched a doctor, and, at his recommendation, had had her conveyed to the English hospital in an ambulance. She took nothing with her, said the femme de ménage, a thin and voluble woman. Nothing at all, pauvre mademoiselle. If madame, that was me, would give herself the trouble to come up to the studio, here were the keys. I followed madame Pichon up the stairs. I must go at once to Miss Bruce and take her some things. She must at least have nightgowns and a comb and a brush. The keys of the wardrobe of Mademoiselle, said Madame Pichon insinuatingly, and with rather a queer sidelong look at me, are in this small drawer. Ah, les voilà! I thanked her with a dismissing manner. Madame Pichon was not a favourite of mine, and with firmness I watched her walk slowly to the door, try to start a conversation, and then, very reluctantly, disappear. Then I turned to the wardrobe, a big, square, solid piece of old, dark furniture, suited for the square and solid coats and skirts of Miss Bruce. Indeed, most of her furniture was big and square. Some strain in her made her value solidity and worth more than grace or fantasies. It was difficult to turn the large key, but I managed it at last. Good Lord, I remarked out loud. Then, being very much surprised, I sat down on a chair and said, Well... What a funny girl! For Miss Bruce's wardrobe, when one opened it, was a glow of colour, a riot of soft silks, everything that one did not expect. In the middle, hanging in the place of honour, was an evening dress of a very beautiful shade of old gold, near it another of flame colour, of two black dresses. The one was touched with silver, the other with a jaunty embroidery of emerald and blue. There were a black and white check with a jaunty belt, a flowered crepe de chine, positively flowered. Then a carnival costume complete with mask, then a huddle, 
a positive huddle of all colours, for all stuffs. For one instant I thought of kleptomania and dismissed the idea. Dresses for models, then? Absurd. Who would spend thousands of francs on dresses for models? No nightgowns here, in any case. As I looked, hesitating, I saw in the corner a box without a lid. It contained a neat little range of smaller boxes. Rouge Fascination, Rouge Mandarine, Rouge Andalouse, several powders, coal for the eyelids and paint for the eyelashes, an outfit for a budding Manon Lescaut. Nothing was missing. There were scents, too. I shut the door hastily. I had no business to look or to guess. But I guessed. I knew. Whilst I opened the other half of the wardrobe and searched the shelves for nightgowns, I knew it all. Miss Bruce, passing by a shop, with the perpetual hunger to be beautiful and that thirst to be loved which is the real curse of Eve, well hidden under her neat dress, more or less stifled, more or less unrecognised. Miss Bruce had seen a dress and had suddenly thought, in that dress perhaps, and immediately afterwards, why not? And had entered the shop and, blushing slightly, had asked the price. That had been the first time, an accident, an impulse. The dress must have been disappointing, yet beautiful enough, becoming enough to lure her on. Then must have begun the search for the dress, the perfect dress, beautiful, beautifying, possible to be worn. And lastly, the search for illusion, a craving, almost a vice, the stolen waters and the bread eaten in secret of Miss Bruce's life. Wonderful moment, when the new dress would arrive and would emerge smiling and graceful from its tissue paper. Wear me, give me life, it would say to her, and I will do my damnedest for you. And first, not unskillfully, for was she not a portrait painter, Miss Bruce would put on the powder, the rouge fascination, the rouge for her lips, lastly the dress, and she would gaze into the glass at a transformed self. She would sleep that night with a warm glow at her heart. No impossible thing, beauty and all that beauty brings. There, close at hand, to be clutched if one dared. Somehow she never dared next morning. I thankfully seized a pile of nightgowns and sat down, rather miserably undecided. I knew she would hate me to have seen those dresses. Mam Pichon would tell her that I had been to the armoire. But she must have her nightgowns. I went to lock the wardrobe doors and felt a sudden, irrational pity for the beautiful things inside. I imagined them 
shrugging their silken shoulders, rustling, whispering about the Anglais who had dared to buy them in order to condemn them to life in the dark. And I opened the door again. The yellow dress appeared malevolent, slouching on its hanger. The black ones were mournful, only the little chintz frock smiled gaily, waiting for the supple body and limbs that should breathe life into it. When I was allowed to see Miss Bruce, a week afterwards, I found her lying, clean, calm and sensible in the big ward, an appendicitis patient. They patched her up, and two or three weeks later we dined together at our restaurant. At the coffee stage, she said suddenly, "'I suppose you noticed my collection of frocks. "'Why should I not collect frocks? "'They fascinate me. "'The colour and all that. "'Exquisite sometimes.' "'Of course,' she added, "'carefully staring over my head "'at what appeared to me to be a very bad picture. "'I should never make such a fool of myself as to wear them. "'They ought to be worn, I suppose.' A plump, dark girl, Neros, gazed into the eyes of her dark, plump escort and lit a cigarette with the slightly affected movements of a non-smoker. "'Not bad hands and arms, that girl,' said Miss Bruce in her gentlemanly manner.' 